Welcome to the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm Jennifer Silliman, and this show is continuing the conversations started in the award-winning first-ever documentary film about maternal mental health. My journey as an advocate began through the power of storytelling. With this podcast, I hope to create a community of women and professionals sharing their own powerful narratives to let others know they're not alone and help is out there. Keep in mind that some of the stories you will hear may be triggering, but it's important they be told. This podcast is not a replacement for professional help from a licensed medical provider. If you or someone you know is suffering due to a maternal mental health condition, please contact your medical provider or call or text message the Postpartum Support International Helpline at 1-800-944-4773. Now let's continue the conversation. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. It's Jennifer Silliman, and I am so excited to sit down today with Nina Giles, who is the author of the book, The Bridesmaid's Daughter. Hi, Nina. How are you? I'm well, thanks. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Oh, I know. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, Your book is fantastic. I have read it twice. Um, And I actually want to go for a third time and and listen to the audio version of it, too. So it's just, it's so good. Thank you. And I don't want to summarize it at all. I really, really want our listeners to hear from you, um, first and foremost, you know, why it's called The Bridesmaid's Daughter. I don't think a lot of people probably even know, you know, why it would be called that. um, And we're talking about maternal mental health. And so go ahead and and tell us um, about that title. Well, yeah, it took us a while to come up with the title. And once we did, it kind of directed everything else with a book, everything fell into place really nicely. Um, It was actually my UK publisher that came up with that name. And I think because my mother was just, um, well, just to give a little background, my mother was um, best friends and bridesmaid to Grace Kelly. And so for the years after the wedding, you know, she was always known as one of the bridesmaids and and the other bridesmaids experienced that too um that's what it was they were always referred to as it's like they had no career or lives themselves um and so me being the daughter <laughs> made a lot of sense uh, as the one writing it um and when I got sort of deep into the journey of writing it and I realized that my birth had impacted her and was the cause of her, you know, mental illness and years of untreated mental illness that um, I had always told people, um, even before I knew really what happened, I would say, you know, she was never the same after I was born. The light was gone from her eyes. And it's so obvious in pictures. What's interesting, too, is I was even in mental health circles because my um, daughter is developmentally disabled and has mental health issues. And um, I would tell that story, but, you know, nobody ever really said anything about it. And then I had the good fortune of uh, sharing my mother's story with Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, chair of psychiatry at Columbia. Um, I I ended up going to see him um, 
through connections um, at MHA where I was, you know, volunteering on events. Um, and I asked them if they could refer me to an expert on schizophrenia because um, I knew uh, my mother had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia later in life. But um, as I got into writing the book, I knew that that diagnosis just didn't fit and it wasn't working for me or my co-author it just it didn't really make sense um so you know as i said before she was this you know beautiful ford model best friend and bridesmaid to grace kelly living a glamorous life in new york city that cafe society you know just incredible um life and eight years of modeling um Throughout the course of writing the book, I researched and documented her entire modeling career. So I have um, over 80 magazines, over 500 images. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to doing something with that. Mm -hmm. um, but 30 years later, <laughs> 30 plus years later, she was living in a homeless shelter in New York City, which usually when I tell people about the story, I just, you know, it's that she was Grace Kelly's bridesmaid and um, 30 years later living in a homeless shelter. And people get very curious, how could that happen? Such a tragedy of going from one to the other. Right. And the way that you um, were not the, I mean, you, you knew what was going on with your mom, although it wasn't something that you talked about. Um, it was something that you really hid from your friends and, and whatnot. I mean, you, I know in your book, you talk about, you know, accepting collect calls from her and always worrying about her and jumping yeah. up every time the phone rang and all those things. And then, um, I believe it was 1989, you were at the yes. grocery store and tell everybody what happened there. Yeah. So in 1989, um, Judy Balaban, who was one of Grace's other friends and bridesmaids, um, had written a book and that um, it was about the bridesmaids. And so that brought a lot of attention and people started looking for my mother, for me. Um, I turned down any interviews at that time. Um, I was a young mom and I just, you know, didn't know how to handle that. And so that was the first time that our story became public. There were very few people that knew what had happened to my mother. She kind of fell off the radar. So at that time in 1989, she was living in the Park Avenue um, shelter for homeless women 55 and older with a diagnosis of mental illness. And um, I first found out that she was there um, because I got a phone call from a doctor. She'd been admitted to Kings County Psychiatric Center. And um, that was the first time I ever heard of paranoid schizophrenia. Um, and so they admitted her to this shelter. And the idea there would have been to help her, help her get housing, medication, and all of that. You know, I think they were very kind and good to her, but she was there for 11 years. Um, and so that was the first time. And she'd already been there a few years when that article came out. Um, so that was very difficult for me. Yes, I had not um, really told, you know, very few people knew anything about that. Um, very few people knew anything about me or my background. You know, I grew up on Long Island. That's it. <laughs> that was pretty much all I said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's that, I mean, that I can just, 
even imagine what that moment was like. I mean, standing in line and then seeing that headline and thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I, this isn't something that I talk about. And so now, you know, now what? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was also, I was so worried about her, you know, because I knew that, you know, there, I ended up connecting with a photographer who followed her for five months, you know, <laughs> and befriended the security guard at the shelter and got, you know, stories from him. And he was fascinated with her. Actually, she never looked homeless. You know, she always, she wore all white, which was part of the, um, part of the illness, part of the OCD, you know, white, everything has to be clean and pure. And um, so I have pictures of her from then and nobody would have known. Um, I don't know how she did it, but she managed to really keep herself um, together. Yeah. And she would go into the local department store to clean up and... and Yeah, that actually I found out from um, Eileen Ford. I was very lucky to interview her three weeks before her death. And I had lunch in the same building that um, my mother and father had lived in and, you know, started their family with my older sisters. And Grace, you know, lived in the building and... Um, so it was very emotional to be there. Um, and, you know, when we interviewed Eileen, I think she was maybe 92, 93. So, um, you know, we had great conversation, but, um, you know, she would just randomly suddenly like throw out something, you know, like your father always knew what to order at a restaurant. And then the next thing was your I would see your mother and she used to bathe at Bloomingdale's. She would go to the ladies room and bathe and so a lot of these people from my mother's former life would just see her in New York you know right and sometimes she would connect with them and and sometimes not Um, right yeah right so I want to talk a little bit about when you you said you know that the the everything just kind of changed after you were born and some of your um, earlier memories that you have of your mom I think you said your earliest memories you remember when you were just starting to walk um, I think that's in, in the book, which I find fascinating too, because that you was so, so, so little. Um, yes. but the whole journey of you missing school, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, wow. it's mind blowing. <laughs> Most yeah, people I mean, don't really even is. believe it. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's actually been very triggering for me and I'll try not to get too upset, but it's just this past year with the pandemic has put me back in that place. It's like, I've done the therapy, I've been on medication here and there, I've done all the work, you know? And it's like, you think you're done. Right. <laughs> now it never, the journey never ends. Never ends. You have to remember right. your tools and, right. and how to get healthy again. And um, I'm walking every day, you know, um, but just the being home and not participating with other people, um, the isolation, you know, um, and the preoccupation with an illness. I mean, this is how I grew up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Only so it, able par- to it watch parallels TV. your childhood very much. It I mean, really does. Wow. And I, and I, you know, and I so worry about the moms that are isolated now that had just even the slightest bit of, of you know, um, postpartum anxiety, postpartum, you know, any of that, you know, right. OCD, those tendencies. Um, but as far as the facts, you know, I did, I... Um, I did get my school records, um, and I only attended 175 days of elementary school. 
Um, typically, I would go for 30 days, 55 days, and then stop going. And I think it was a combination of things. I think my mother never encouraged me to separate. Um, I think I was responding as a child to her um, depression, anxiety, fears. I, I grew up incredibly fearful of everything in every situation. And I think it was really coming from that, you know, what she was going through. Um, perhaps one of the things that saved me because those early years, even before you go to school are so important, is that we had um, a, a, a nanny and she left when I was four. And I like vividly remember her, you know, um, the day she left was heartbreaking. So I had the nanny, I had my sister, six and eight years older. Um, so I'm sure that that must have helped my development, you know, whereas if it had just been my mother and me and her going through that. Um, but then, then the nanny's gone and now no one is observing, you know, and, um, you know, I think my mother's mental health over the next five years, six years, uh, just deteriorated. So we got into this pattern of me saying I didn't feel well, not going to school. Um, I think it's typical for children, you know, to say like, I have a stomach ache, I don't feel well, and not go to school, right. or not want to do anything. It's just, but for me, that was just how my anxiety, you know, of what was going on, right. um, was coming out. And I did have some tutoring, some homeschooling, but um, she would often just cancel, because she wasn't together enough herself to have anybody, you know, like, viewing what was going on um and then it gets tricky because as i got older it was a pattern and so now i'm living a lie as a 10 year old right <laughs> you know and you you start to go into your teens and you realize that something is not right and that what's so telling i have it in the book that i uh the principal called and he yeah. asked how i was right You're like oh i'm fine wait no, I'm, I'm fine not. oh no i'm not fine <laughs> i'm not i'm not okay <laughs> yeah um, so, yeah, and it never goes away. It's a very painful, you know, thing. It's, I had a lot of social anxiety from that, um, when I was younger, which is one of the things that frustrates me so much now, because I feel like this isolation has just all that work, you know, of getting out there and networking, being social and all that, you know, it's like, you have to take baby steps yeah. to sort of get back. We all do. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing um, how much those triggers are so impactful, even though we've yes. done so much work on ourselves to get mm -hmm. out of that space. It doesn't take much to put us back in it, um, mm -hmm. which is frustrating. I mean, it's super frustrating. I have been there too, and it's, it's, a, it's a frustrating place to be. But you have a good point that, you know, when I was just talking to another friend in the maternal mental health realm about this, is that we're going to have this entire population of moms and kids that are growing yes. up in this COVID world that is just so not, it's, it's just, it doesn't work when you're trying to be a mom and, you know, it takes a village and all of that. I mean, we already don't have a village when we can get out. Yeah. <laughs> so now we yeah. can't even get out into the village. Right. And it's just, it's, it's hard. And I know, so, um, so your sisters were older and they, and you had then moved to the, I think they called it the dream house on long Island. Yes, yeah, so they they moved to Long Island um, in 1958. I was born in 59. Right. And 
I have pictures of my mother when the house was being built and she's smiling and she's got the two, you know, two daughters. And then just before, you know, like that last month of pregnancy, you know, you see more strain. Um, and, and then I don't have a lot of pictures, but the pictures that I do have really show um, the sadness and just completely gone. Um, and I, you know, I think my mother had a lot of the risk factors. She, um, so she, when I was born, 1959, she was um, five four. I was a 10 pound, 10 ounce baby. So something went wrong there. She shouldn't have gone that far. Yeah. Um, she'd given up her career. She's isolated. She's on Long Island. She's having marital problems. All of those, you know, things. Um, that took a toll. I also found out when I was writing the book that um, I, and I was very cautious, you know, about talking about this because I don't, you know, anything I don't have proof of, but at least four people told me they thought she was sexually abused. And it's very odd for four people from completely different backgrounds to say that. Right. Um, so I think there was something wrong um, in the household uh, with her stepfather and, um, you know, that would have, that was one of the first questions um, when I met with, or uh, talked to Diana Barnes. <laughs> and she, that was one, you know, she asked about trauma and if she had been sexually abused. And there you go. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, which are all very much risk factors for all of those, for those types mm -hmm. of things to happen. So, you know, towards the, towards the end of the book, you talk about going back to all of those places, including your elementary school. Oh, yeah. You kind of reform those, <laughs> yes. those oh, um, yes. thinking yes. patterns, right, into something more positive, which is another part of the healing process, right, is to become almost desensitized to whatever that yes. is. You don't have that reaction to it anymore. So um, I, I loved that story uh, of you meeting the assistant principal and then the principal going, I was only I mean I was never in school and nobody nobody you know and now like the you know the the policy you couldn't do it now you couldn't yeah. do it now without no, you couldn't the do CF it. being called or somebody being oh, called yeah I would have been yeah. taken away if she had persisted um yeah the and the principal asked me um are you angry you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit <laughs> I am um yeah. because that robbed me from a lot yeah. you know um just a lot of experiences. You think about all the things that a child would miss from not being in school. You know, the social interactions, friendships, uh, sports, games, music concerts, you know, um, just all of those things yeah. and that help you grow as a person and become confident. Um, you know, even, uh, even 20 years ago, someone wouldn't think that I was shy or, you know, if I would say anything like that, they just, they don't get it. Right? It took me a lot of years to get over the social anxiety and to be um, more comfortable with myself. And that's uh, one of the things that the book really did for me um, because I'm, you know, I'm more, more comfortable in my own skin, not ashamed um, of my mother, of myself for not being educated. Um, and and another just beautiful thing just thinking about you know mother's day coming up and everything is that understanding what happened to my mother allows me to um really love her and feel empathy towards her you know and what happened to her 
Um, I'm so proud of what she accomplished, you know, as a young woman um, going to New York City with just a little bit of money and and not knowing what was going to happen. But she became incredibly successful, an eight-year career, magazine covers. She, um, you know, so I never felt proud of her before I went on the journey to write the book. That wasn't anything I would have... (laughs) I would have said. Right. Now I just feel, you know, so sad for her that there weren't better resources. Um, so it's wonderful to see there are better resources now, you know. Yeah. 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 yeah she lived an extraordinary uh, life. I mean, that's, and 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 you too, I didn't even write, obviously, because I hadn't read the book before we met and we didn't talk about this mm-hmm. when we were meeting, um, you know, that you were so young when you left and, you know, and started you know your life it, it's i i think you were 17 when you when you left younger oh, you <laughs> well i was 17 when i got married um, when you got first married. Time. Right. yeah um yeah what what caused my uh caused me to leave long island and to leave that dysfunctional family setting um things are really bad i mean just had gotten so bad financially the relationship with my parents it was just awful one of my sisters was living in Philadelphia. The other was ready to move to New York and start a career. And um, so my sister Robin came home one weekend and she, you know, took me down to the beach where we lived. This beautiful, idyllic setting. And she said, Nina, do you know you were never sick all those years? And, you know, I had to stop like, no one, it's okay to say that out loud. Nobody ever said it. I've never said it. <laughs> I was 14 years old. Um, you know, I had, as a teenager, I'd started to want to go to school. So seventh, you know, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, you know, I still had absences, but, you know, it was getting better. Um, anyway, once it was out there, I didn't want to be with my mother anymore. Um, I really couldn't, I just couldn't, you know, I needed to get out of there and to be healthy. Um, I needed to separate, you know, from because it wasn't like she was discouraging it, you know? So um, I moved in with my sister in the city, um, just going on, just before I turned 15. So she was, um, you know, in her early 20s. Right. (laughs) And we were living alone in New York City. I mean, it's just, it's wild to think of. Yeah. Would I let my, no. And then they started going to school, right? You were so excited the first I went. Cool. You didn't, you were so excited. It doesn't knew you, right? It was clean slate. Yeah. Yeah, Nobody knew me and I worked so hard. And because I came from a very affluent neighborhood where the kids were all very, um, you know, academically, you know, just achieving amazing things. Um, and I went to a school that was very diverse and, um, I was on the honor roll with within I don't know you know six months or something I I worked really hard you know went to the library I studied and and all of that so it was great to have that you know educational success for a little while (laughs) it didn't last long but yeah and then um I just because I don't want to give you guys have got to read this book I don't want to give this all away but I loved that you were able to go to um France yes as another part of that trip and invited um to the palace to see where those beautiful pictures were taken of your mom with grace it was just amazing yeah i mean it's just 
you know, there are things that you have on your bucket list in life. Yeah. And I feel like having done that and, and gone back to France, I really, really feel um, that it was so important to do, um, so meaningful to me. And, and it, you know, it was quite a range of different things. You know, one was going to the palace in Monaco and, and seeing where the royal wedding took place and then walking up to the cathedral where the wedding was and across the street um there's a big you know plaque with the wedding photo with my mother right there so she's right there yeah. <laughs> across the street um and then they were so nice they invited us um my co-author and I into the um palace archives so yeah. that was like something out of a james bond movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just all the security and everything here's your passport you know right. everything you but it was great. We got to see the seating chart from the wedding. My father was sitting very close to Cary Grant and all of these other amazing, you know, officials. Um, and some photos I had never seen. And just, you know, I've seen it so many times. The images and videos, you know, you can watch the royal wedding online very easily. Um, so it was incredible to be there. And... Um, but then, you know, from there, <laughs> we went to the other spectrum. I went alone, which was really hard without my co-author. Um, I think it was 11 or 12 hours of being on two or three different trains to get to Lourdes, the other side right, of France. Right. right. Um, and that was because my mother had taken me on this trip um, when I was 12 with uh, literally running away and literally with the clothes on my back. <laughs> It was also yeah. not well um, yeah, and wanted to try and heal you. So yeah, it's an extraordinary story. It, it, it really is. I highly suggest getting the book for those of you listening and, and, and read it. It's just the perspective is fantastic, but just her life just, I mean, I don't know. It leaves me kind of speechless because it's so so extraordinary and the pictures that you have um and the interviews that you were able to do with her friends i actually took some time to look up some of those names because i wasn't yeah. familiar with a lot of them and i'm like oh she was in this alfred hitchcock movie and this you know and then you start yeah. oh this is so interesting um but yeah just I even looked up the Barbizon hotel. I was like, this is so neat. Like there was this hotel where, you know, only girls could stay. Yeah. And it was just, it was just yeah. really interesting. She's actually, um, there's another book, you know, a book came out about the Barbizon. And my mother is very much a part of chapter four in that book because Grace and Carolyn lived there, you know, right. at that time. Right. Um, so it keeps, she keeps coming back, yeah. <laughs> you know. Into, <laughs> oh, um, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, well, thank you, Nina, so much for sharing this story with us, especially Mother's Day coming up. Um, and happy Mother's Day to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, for those of you that want to check it out, it is called The Bridesmaid's Daughter, and um, it is available. Uh, so check it out and get yourself a copy. Nina, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you.